Hey everyone, it's Michael. Before we begin, want to remind you all to join the new Union Sports Goalkeeping Community, a social media network that reimagines how we engage, educate, and entertain one another. To download free, go to www.theunionsports.com or the Union Community on Apple or Google Play stores. Thanks for making the Union possible, and on with the show. Yep. Welcome to Inside the 18. I'm Michael Magid, live from United Soccer Coaches Convention here in beautiful Kansas City, Missouri. With me, 99 World Cup winner, Suskio Weber, who just had a fantastic, fantastic panel discussion with some legends on the panel with you as well. So congratulations on that. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I know I was a little, I was starstruck myself, to be <laughs> honest with you. <laughs> it was awesome. Speaking of Starstruck, uh, we got uh, the one and only. Uh, we guys, honestly, this guy doesn't need an introduction because I think he's on the show every other week. Uh, the one and only Dan Abrahams. Dan, uh, this is your 17th podcast of the day. I know. And my uh, my fee keeps rising as well. So I'm very happy. I think we're up to $10,000 a session now. I, I believe so. I believe so. Awesome. Now, what is, what is that in pounds? How does that work? The conversion rate? Uh, that's that's about twenty quid or something. Twenty, 20 you know, it's, it's quite a skewed conversion. No, I think I think ten thousand dollars is around about seven thousand pounds. So. Oh so I think our first podcast with you was when you were. I mean, people knew who you were. A guy that I worked with at Cal State LA was like, I've read every book that Dan's ever read. Can I say hi to him? I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, I mean, I'm I'm not Dan. If he's okay with it, go for it. And then we we booked you at that rate. So luckily, it's it hasn't really. <laughs> It's appreciated a lot, but for us, it's, it's we've kept it at the, the normal rate. So we'll stick with what we had in 2019. That's fun. I mean, I, th- I think, you know, one, one, one of the great things in regards to, to Dan is that, that you are, we joke around and everything like that, but you are really humble. I mean, the fact that you fly over here to, to talk to us uh, American soccer coaches and, 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 and tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, the, 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 the game of football. But, but honestly, it's kind of funny. You say that you feel that the game, the sports site game in regards to the mental aspect of the game has been actually further along here in the States than you feel it had been in Europe for a while. I think so. I mean, I think it's evened up quite a bit. I mean, I think uh, certainly growing up as a sport, massive sports fan and a, you know, a sports participant, I suppose, uh, in England, uh, in Britain, in the UK, uh, and as a, a European citizen, which we used to be in Britain, um, we won't get too political here. Um, you know, you kind of looked at America and there was you just... It, incredible insight and foresight and amazing books and literature and stuff coming out from coaches. Um, and you learn from America. And, and my uh, hero, um, when I became a professional golfer, was somebody called Dr. Bob Rotella, who, um, you know, wouldn't be a household name or anything, but if you're a sports psychologist, he is. Uh, he was probably the first person to come along and really demystify sports psychology for for golfers, but also, I mean, he, he worked, I think he worked with LeBron James, he worked with he was at University of Virginia, so he worked with a lot of competitors over the years, sports people. So, um, look, I've always looked across the pond, across the Atlantic, and thought, you guys have it sussed. Awesome. I think in the last couple of decades, Europe has possibly caught up, certainly in, in, in the academic world of things, the, the sports science world of things, and the academic sports psychology. We're pretty strong in Europe. We're very strong in Great Britain. We kind of punch up above our weight. We've got some, you know, great um, great academics within sports psychology who, if you don't mind me saying, my podcast, they come on my podcast and they're far more intelligent than me. And make me, I, Just plug it. Just plug, just plug, plug the sports site show. The sports site show. The sports site show. And um, 
that in my first plug today. Um, but no, it, it's half decent. It's a half decent podcast because I have great guests and they're great academics. And, and it's really about we just have to continue to get better at demystifying this, helping players and coaches have practical tools, techniques, philosophies. And just I, I also think there's an element of helping coaches and players just be uh just think more critically about what they're doing. You know, what am I doing? How am I doing it? Why am I doing it this way? And it's been a big theme for me this week, presenting yesterday, presenting tomorrow. I'm standing on stage and I'm saying, well, I'm not, I'm, you know, I, I, I want to I challenge viewpoints. I want to... Uh, I want to take people out of their comfort zone, you know, fire back at me by all means. But can we see, you know, whatever you believe, can you perhaps shift that lens? Can, can you, the power of unbelief, can you see it in a different way? I think coaches need to be critical thinkers. I think that's so, so important. So there's a, there's a theme running through there. So, uh, yeah. So I, 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 um, I am always honored to, to come over here and, um, and, socialize and uh, talk with and learn from um, uh, coaches over here. There's lots of Brits over here anyway, but learn from American coaches and, and, and learn what you guys are doing. Yeah. Definitely a lot of Brits over there as we just see one just walk by. Uh, as <laughs> Hey, fellow Brit. <laughs> As as we're going through right here, um, but but Suske, you know, speaking about this, you know, in regards to just what 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 Dan was saying right here, uh, learning from each other, I felt like that the mental the mental part of the, the panel that you were just on, and you you were on a panel recently just in regards to female coaching and you know representation in coaching and everything like like that, and uh, we saw a little bit of a case study, Dan and, and Suske, I recognize that as well too. We saw that there were uh, a lot of women that did not raise their hands when they were asked if there was any questions, but all the male coaches raised their, their hands. And, and Suska, you, you, I, I did, you said you noticed it right away. Yeah. I mean, and it's something that unfortunately it's, um, it's a stigma that we have to get out of as female coaches. We were so used to taking a back seat. Um, allowing men to lead and um, lead in the soccer world as well. And so I think that um, that was a good example of it. And the fact that it was brought up, like, why hasn't a single female coach here asked a question, but all the men have, and they felt confident in asking questions and everything. And as I left, I got pulled over in the bathroom and asked questions in, in private by females and everything. So I think that, I think that, you know, it's, change has to come yeah. and, the, and this starts but it, it was really interesting but it's nothing i'm surprised about what why why is that do you I think i don't know if it's confidence i think that i think the female coach i mean they're out there but i think because it's it's an evolving yeah thing we're not we're not as prevalent we haven't been the the lifespan of a, of a top female coach is a lot shorter than male. So I think that whether it's questioning yourself, if you're asking the right questions or if you know what you're talking about or just letting somebody else lead because we, you know, that's how it's always been. Um, it's up to us to change that. Okay. Yeah. And what, what's, in, if I may ask. Oh, what, I'm in, what, I'm, right now I'm in therapy. No, <laughs> this is just why we have Dan on. We have yeah. Dan on yeah. so that yeah. Suske no, can no, have well, sessions. Suske will be far more of, of an expert here. So I'm just, I'm just curious. I'm here to learn. And uh, what, what would suit your lens better is it is it a case of you know men women we're all human beings we're all coaches or do we have to have a conversation and a narrative around this is a socially constructed thing you know this is men have been at the historically uh men have led and women have followed 
if that's what I'm hearing you say. I've and been... we need to appreciate that and talk about that and change it that way. I think it's something we need to identify. We can't yeah. just we can't just sit here and say, well, now times are changed and women are equal and men are equal. And so it's just not the, it's not the fact. I mean, men are coaching women's national team players. Women are never coaching men's national team players. I mean, you know, uh, how many women coach NC Division One men's um, teams? One, I think, um, Kim, you know, so I think that this is something that we have to identify in order to change. Yeah. And um be confident in ourselves as as females that we we know the sport you know even looking at baseball the fact the yankees just hired a female coach it's amazing it's amazing what it shouldn't be groundbreaking but it is yeah. it is and we have to get there you know there's what three females in the um the nfl now and um there's been females in the you know nba and everything we have to break those grounds. It's not just going to change because we say it does, yeah. you know, but it comes from us as well. It comes from us having the confidence as women to go after those jobs, mm. to speak up in a panel, which nobody did, and, and so on and so forth. So it comes from us as well. It's not just going to happen overnight because I want it to because yeah. I say it should. By the way, I, I like the fact right now, I like this dynamic right here because Suskia now has the microphone and Omar, as a man, is sitting there without the microphone now. So we've it's a, it's a role reversal going on right here. We've got a role reversal going on right here. I mean, one thing I want to say, and again, this is something I, I'm interested in and curious about and exploring. And I, I think we, we all want to say the right thing. But if I was to put to you, I think it's really important that teams have the opportunity to be exposed to cognitive diversity. And that potentially there are, you know, across men and women, there might be cognitive diversity because of uh, a man might not be the same as a woman, a woman might not be the same as a man. Would that be something that resonates with you or am I going down a path here that that's, that's, that's sexist, that's a wrong thing to say? It, I, I, it would need more defining. Cognitive diversity is in... You know, there's going to be thinking, different ways of thinking. And there's going to be different, different ways of thinking across individuals. There's going to be individual differences. There's going to be cultural differences. Are there, might there be different, different lenses of the world, different viewpoints, different approaches um, across men and women? I think, yes. I think that there are different approaches and different viewpoints across men and women. But are those learned or as is that a learned behavior from the world or is that a fundamental like you know if we come down to physical differences you know that's something okay we can argue from a standpoint but yeah. mental differences yeah you know just because you're a man do you look at the game in a different way and it's a better way than a woman does and i don't i don't yeah. that i don't agree with so uh, and i bye omar <laughs> Sorry, omar. No, omar hasn't said a word this entire podcast so if I was to borrow from the personality literature, and I'll, I'll, I'll provide my best understanding here, is that where there has potentially been research that's shown any kind of differences between men and women is in uh, the trait of agreeableness. By and large, men test uh, less agreeable than women. Okay. By and large, it's the same, but at the ends, at the margins, men can tend, can tend to be more disagreeable than women. Women tend to be more, more agreeable. Now let's define agreeableness, it's a social construct and it could be, uh, a, and it could be um, brought down into compassion and politeness. So we take the compassion, M women tend to be more compassionate than men, okay? Empathy, they can be more empathic. Mm. 
And I wonder if there are coaching times. I've certainly experienced coaching whereby I think coaches need to be more empathic at times. And maybe if we were to take that personality literature and look at difference between men and women, which might exist, how that's, how, whether that's a social construction or whether it's a biological thing, that's always going to be up for debate. And I don't, that's a controversial debate. But might women be more empathic in times where men aren't? And that might, that's the kind of diversity that I'm talking about. Right. And what does, it, what does the, the sport call for? Yeah. Like, what do you need? Do you need the empathy? Do you like, I can, I can introduce you some women that are very, <laughs> the opposite. Trust me and every, um, but I think I understand what you're saying. And it's at the margins. You know, I'm not saying it's, it's uh, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And, 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 and I, and I think, okay, so let me say this. I'm here this week and increasingly my work takes me to a position, a viewpoint where I'm trying to sell in the notion of seeing coaching through a biopsychosocial lens. That yes, we are going to have learning outcomes around technical, tactical, physical, of course we can. But yesterday I talked a lot about, but we can still have a biopsychosocial lens of biology, psychology, social. So motivation, concentration, commitment, all the biopsychosocial stuff that you might think of. I'm here drumming that beat because this, this social historical context of coaching has been male driven. Right. And it hasn't been female driven. And I wonder if we might be in a more advanced position today if more women had had the opportunity to coach at a higher level because they compassion may have been more of a player. Agreed. And other traits as well. Agreed. Omar, I, actually, I want to ask you a question right here. We'll, we'll let you speak. We'll finally let you speak right here. I, don't, I prefer not to. <laughs> No, but but I think you know obviously it's a tough topic. But but I I think I, I know it, it can be a slippery slope. But I I want to frame it in this way: you as somebody who's a social media educator, you've even pointed this out in regards to people like like Joe Lloyd and at the Keeper Institute. How rare that is! How the majority of the content that you see on social media when it comes to coaching education is male driven. You know, so if systemically, do you think that you as a as a male coach are automatically kind of ingrained just? expect male coach male coach content because of that uh i don't think so okay. i mean i think for me I, i've i mean i i understand and and the social construct of how people have grown up and how they it is male male centric you see a lot of men commentating on women's sports you don't see a lot of women commentating on men's sports which i think uh doris burke is one of the best in the nba and i love her and she's like i mean she's become famous she has like little things with drake all the time so like those things as well and she's very educated and it's like I want to see more of that. So for me, as, as Sasha was saying, is that, you know, the Yankees and, and in the NFL as well, you start see, to see people who are breaking the grounds of that. And then, again, it hopefully switches something on to people of like, I don't really care how I get the knowledge and the information as long as I'm being educated. And for me, that has – I feel like my parents have raised me in the right way. So when I saw Jill's stuff early on, I never once said, oh, it's a woman. It's not going to be good. I watched and I was like, oh, crap, she played for the national team? Oh, damn. Okay. So then I would watch her stuff. And like I said today in the panel, she would post things. And then in my, my mind would go crazy and be, what was she thinking here? Why, why did she implement this in the next progression? What was she trying to get to? So I think for me, it's, it's always been completely no man versus woman. It was who can educate me the best. And she's probably one of the best educators, male or female in the world. So for me, I, I've never really had, I've been very indifferent about that kind of stuff. But now the question lies, and I agree with you, Jill is. Would Jill ever get the nod to be the goalkeeper coach for the men's national team? And so this is when I'm getting raw with it. Like, okay, but you can take you, yourself and you could probably eventually be looked at to be the women's national team goalkeeper coach. 
would it go the other way? Why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't it? And where is that hold back in our society? Because she is. She's an incredible educator. But where is her ceiling? Is Can she only coach women? Is that is that it? There shouldn't be a ceiling. There and shouldn't be. No, no, there shouldn't. But, but, but Jill, yourself, Saskia, why... What, I'm, I'm like, well, why wouldn't, when there's an opportunity, there's a gap in the Premier League um, for a coaching for position, what, why, why wouldn't somebody choose you? Why wouldn't a club right. choose uh, Jill? It doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to me. I have kind of a 15-year sports psychology career, get the opportunity to work with some of um, the, the, the best players at the best clubs, but I've, I've never in a Premier League worked with a female coach. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Why? And it doesn't, and I think it's generational as well. I, I, one of the cute, coolest questions I used to get asked from my young players when I was with the Bulls and stuff, when I took the UCLA job, was the boys that I used to coach, Anthony and Caden and those guys would say, are you coaching the men too? Like, are you the men's goalkeeper coach too? No, no, like, surprise in that. It was like a legit question. Oh, you took the UCLA job, are you coaching the men? Yeah. You know? Because they don't look at it that way. Yeah. They look at it. They've been brought up being coached by women. Yeah. They don't see it differently. I'm just a good educator to them and everything. I think the old guard doesn't see it that way. And you're absolutely right. Why wouldn't I get a knock on the door to be to take over that LAFC job? <laughs> <laughs> but I was joking. I'm kidding. I was joking. But I was joking with Omar going, Omar, are you getting a UCLA women's go-giving job? Like, but, you know, but we can banter about that. But the truth is I wouldn't be surprised if it went that way. We'd all be surprised if it went the other way. Yeah. You know? uh, Dan, Dan, I have a question for you because, Suski, you just brought up a really good point. Culturally, when it comes to generationally, mm. do you think, you know, from a, from, a, from a sports psych, you know, background, is it because the people in the past had been raised a different way? So systemically, like their brain – formed formed different thoughts and and a different expectations and these younger kids these gen z's you know they they see they see more equality in regards to everything around them so so they have more of a blinder to this yeah i mean i suppose that the, the best way i can answer that um is again let's come back to this term biopsychosocial human functioning human behavior human decision making is based on the interaction between our biology our psychology and our social environment and so the moment we are born, I mean, we are born, we're not born without temperaments um, you know, in the womb where our brain is subject to something called synaptogenesis, where our brain is wiring up and, and uh, within our genetic coding, you know, we, we are born with temperaments. We are born um, with uh, a certain degree of a certain level of emotion, negative emotion and positive emotion, positive emotion being extroversion, negative emotion um, being uh, neuroticism. Um, and, 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 and then that changes over time based on our social environment, our social experiences with our peers, with our parents, what we're exposed to. And so obviously as generations, as, as time evolves and the social landscape changes and people see different things and they're exposed to a, you know a female coach in a women's coach in basketball and baseball etc etc um, they see that as something it, it's normalized essentially so it becomes part of your brain wiring we are essentially for the most part our brain wiring that's the biological side our psycho, what we see, our psychology, what we see in our social environment is going to influence our brain mind. So in many respects, yes, yes, you are absolutely right. And that's where, I mean, that's, this is where, you know, in the last few years as the women's game has, has taken off globally, um, or at least expanded and broadened, I mean, it, 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 that needs to build, that it's, 
we need social pressures to do that. And so it normalizes in our society. It becomes a part of that. Um, it, we become a part of that. It's just normalized. Uh, and and so, so now we've got soccer, uh, women's soccer players who are household names, which has never happened in the UK. And now, also banned women's soccer. Well, exactly. It was Wait, a, what? I mean, exactly. UK was yeah, illegal. Yeah. you will get women's soccer. It was yeah. illegal to play soccer yeah. as a woman. Yeah. Until 50 years ago or something, yeah. right? Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I don't know the it exact. Was some, yeah, exact it was some, It was illegal. And so we are we are subject by. So, <laughs> Look at Mike's face. Yeah, we are subject. We are subject to these social pressures, and it wires our brain. We become our culture, and our culture is us. And so we need to deliberately force these social pressures in order to rewire our brain, into, in order to normalize our perception of the world around us, in terms of, you know. Uh, Women's soccer is a big deal, and we should make a big deal about right. it. And there should be things like equal pay. And I don't want to go into subjects I don't know enough about, but that's my thought. And there should be more women coaches in the Premier League, um, in a, a multiple range of sports, at the top level, coaching men, I, I, I believe. And whether you put that under the rubric of, well, we require more cognitive diversity, or somebody says, no, there's no difference between men and women, which is fine, there probably isn't much difference, uh, or any difference at all. Um, we still need to force that socially to happen. Yeah, I mean, even look at the mistakes that we've made in the NWSL. I mean, with Angel City originally naming, a, like, looking to name a male coach. And, I mean, sorry to use my language, but the shit hit the fan. Because, you know, here we had a new team that was that – was, um, trying to break the glass ceiling of, of the old guard and the stigma and and to have you know them have it come in and the suggestion to have a male coach have you gone through what you need to go through the fine proper female coach at the end of the day we all want a perfect world where the best person for the job gets the job but at the same time when you're equal when there are equal people for a job and you have the ability to change a stigma, then I'm sorry, change it and put a female in that job because it's the only way that other female coaches will look that they can advance further. But if you keep repeating the same pattern, we're not going to change it. And so, yes, we've hired a female coach, but originally they weren't going to do that. And trust me, it did not go well. It did not go down well. We, <laughs> we do need the best person for the job. And I understand that statement and I understand that philosophy but perception is distorted and subject to our cognitive biases. And our cognitive biases, as you're alluding to, are influenced by our social environment, our, his, our, our history, our, our social context. And, 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 and so subsequently, we do need to instrumentally, we need to make shifts instrumentally on purpose. We can't just, we have to give, in the case that we're talking about here, women the opportunity in men's sport at all levels but especially at the top level sometimes we've just got to do that deliberately to to normalize it and so that we as a global community uh, in sport in soccer as coaches as players start to understand that this isn't something odd or weird and at the moment it would feel odd or weird if there's a woman coaching in the premier league and it's just like what? Why am I even thinking right, that but e way? Even the even identifying that they're women, women referees that are coaching in the World Cup, the men's World Cup, like you know, it, it needs to be normalized. And but you have to make the the choice to put someone there. Somebody has to start like the Yankees. Like I said, eventually you want it to be like okay, it, it's not news. There is no news about it. Who cares? You know, it's a referee, and that's the end of it. But we have to 
deliberately put people there to get there and i agree with you on that yeah. but and, and and the thing i'm gonna sound right a yeah. right like psychologist here no 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 i was just, I was just gonna say oh and i could just we can go grab, grab lunch like, this is good i am suffering from so much jet lag right now and i can't believe i'm even beginning to engage in this fairly highbrow conversation that usually is about thirty thousand feet climbing but therefore, everybody head. who thought like this this topic was rejection like we completely pivoted because of what just what just happened at that we panel so, over there so, so pivoted but as, as um, I'll try and remember what I was going to say there. We, um, as human beings, are subject, as, as I said, to our cognitive biases. We, we kind of orient towards something that is strange in our environment. We pay attention to that. I don't know where I was going to go with that point. I was going to say something really profound, I think. <laughs> At least I think I was going to say something profound. It's still 30,000 feet in the air. Uh, yeah, you said something, Saskia, that hit me, and I can't remember what it was. So I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm jet lagged. I, I apologize. It was going to be brilliant. It was going to be a world-changing moment. <laughs> I not, love it. Not. I, I do want to ask Omar this, and then I, should we move on to? Should we do a little bit of rejection? Okay. Um, the last last thing, Omar, before we before we move on from this talk, which is obviously a Pandora's box that we've opened that could go on for for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, I love Dan what you said about cognitive diversity. Because mm. I think that is something that a lot of people don't look at when it look when they talk about representation, Omar. They think representation, they think about appearance, physical appearance, gender, that sort of thing. They don't think about different points of view, different mindsets. You yourself as a young I'll still call you a young coach, even though you're becoming a high level coach now. Um, you're becoming a man. <laughs> you're becoming a man. You're growing up. Do you feel that you've become a better coach because you've had because you've had more cognitive diversity, because you've had coaches from different backgrounds who've had different experiences, whether they're men, women from South America, from the United States, from England or whatever, that, you know, then you had when, let's just say your, your background had been tra traditionally from one group of people and that point of view only. I mean, yeah, I think I talk about it in the academy days when I was at the Galaxy. Uh, I had a goalkeeper coach who was, you know, very Americanized, like England style, keep everything in the bubble, make sure the technique is right and, and game realistic. So I was exposed to that. And then I think that's how I saw the world and that's how I saw the game. And then as I started getting into, again, speaking with people like Jill Lloyden, and then I started realizing, oh, there's more to the game than just being on the field. Speaking with people like Dan, they're like, you actually have to help people get, yeah, oh, sure, sure. <laughs> and Susk as well. <laughs> but realizing that everybody has, uh, has explored their own journey as a coach and then picking little bits and pieces off that and the, the, the psyche as well. I think one thing, I just reposted it uh, a few days ago, but one thing you told me was like a lot of coaches in the, in the U.S. or in the, around the world think that the technical execution was the reason why a goalkeeper conceded a goal. But have you ever thought about like their mental state in that moment, which didn't allow them to, to be proficient or, and execute that technique in the right way. So again, you know, I, I say Jill a lot because she does a lot of work with her goalkeeper coaches and having them develop their own identity and their, their I guess, understanding of the, the social psyche of the, of the player that they're coaching. So I think, again, it's so to answer your question, Mike, yes. Um, male, female, to me, I don't care. As long as I get valuable information, I'll internalize that and then try to vocalize it to my kids. But I've never, again, to everybody, like, I've never really seen it male or female, and I know the world does. So for me, I know it's not my experience, but I know it exists. So I really do hope that social stigmas start to change. But again, I could be one of the people who tried to tries to change that as well. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I think it's just everybody has that. Yeah. Go ahead, just, just to say something briefly on cognitive diversity, which I just think is so so important amongst coaching teams. Um, one thing I always um, find that um, that the 
I don't want to be too specific here because I don't want to pinpoint anybody or any coaching team, but I think one of the most important things at any level is if you've got a group of coaches at a college or in a club or, or whatever is, is having that cognitive diversity. And what I see too much, again, I'm going to go back to Premier League or whatever, is that I, I, I do think sometimes those, those managers in the Premier League can tend to pick people where there's been a mistake. They've picked people like themselves, like uh, who think uh, uh, sort of like-minded thinkers. And uh, that's a problem because you've got nobody there to challenge. You've got nobody else, nobody there to see the world through a different lens. That's, that's, that's a big, 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 big problem. It's a huge problem because you have 30 people that are seeing the world through different lenses um, as, as far as the players go. Yeah. And if you can add people to that, that, identify with different yeah, groups of those those exactly. individuals as players then you can have a better well-rounded team if, if you're if you want every single one of your players and all your coaches look through the same lens then you're never going to identify with with those players yeah. as a whole yeah or individually yeah yeah absolutely speaking of cognitive diversity we actually have a question in the crowd right now from a, a young goalkeeper uh, aubrey mcglynn uh aubrey first off shout out on the on the the call-up uh, that's fantastic at such a young age. That's that's really, really cool. So we're excited for you for that. Um, and her question is, I'm going to pop it up right here. She goes, what advice do you have for youth keepers and the pressure that others try to apply to them during big games? Um, I'll start it with a very bland comment, and then we'll dig a little bit deeper. So focus on yourself. Uh, focus on – sorry, what was the question? It was, so, it was the so impact that – yeah, what, what advice do you have for youth keepers and the pressure that others apply to them during big games? Others uh, try to apply to them during big games. Focus on yourself, on being the best individual you can be and the best teammate you can be. How do you do that? For me, you require, you need to break down your game and have some, some specific tasks. You need to be task-oriented out there. You need to have two or three things, or between one and three things that you're going to focus on doing and getting right, irrespective of the communication uh, around you towards you. Focus, help yourself to focus on you by breaking down your game. You've got a bunch of responsibilities in your role as a goalkeeper. Um, pick one, two, three things that you're going to focus on. When if anybody gets negative, so it could be a technical thing, it could be a tactical thing, it could be a physical thing, it can be a mental thing, it can be a strength you want to magnify, it might be a coaching point that's been given to you by your coach. It's got to be something that's specific, it's got to be something that's controllable, it's got to be something that's positive. Um, and and that gives you, if you go out there, and you can write it on your on your glove, okay, you can write it on, 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 your, on your forearm, um, it it gives you something to focus on that when somebody gets negative with you or something in the game happens that creates a, an unhelpful or negative emotion with inside of you, um, if, if, if you experience something that raises your anxiety levels, you can come back to. You've got to have specific tasks to focus on um, so you can turn down the volume of unhelpful noise around you. And one of the potentially... Um, best things that you can do is if you've got defenders around you who tend to be negative with you, just tell them what to communicate to you in the heat of battle. Tell them what to tell them what one of those plays is that you've chosen. One of those tasks I'd call them plays. Uh, so this is basically a technique I call a match script, and I talk about this in my first book, Soccer Tough, um, which is available on Amazon. <laughs> um, Promo code inside the AT guest now. <laughs> 
and Gareth Bale has just come out and said it changed his life as well. So just say. <laughs> like yeah. Um, so, so, um, and I know a lot of goalkeepers have picked that book up and found found it found it to be useful. So occasionally some people listen to me, and 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 so it's called a match script, and it's just about breaking down your game into specific tasks. But that's such an important thing to do because it gives you your it gives your brain something to focus on when you need it. Okay, sounds like a really obvious thing, but the skill is to break it down into something that's specific, controllable, and positive. Keeping a clean sheet isn't specific, controllable, and positive. Okay, we want something more. What's going to help you to keep a clean sheet? What's going to help you to get your footwork right, your handling right? So work with your coach on a match script, so that when when things are unhelpful, when things might make you feel negative, um. That's useful to come back to. And in psychology, we call that being task-focused rather than overly ego-focused. No, I think Go ahead. to add to that, I think it's, it's everything you're saying is amazing. And I think it's just the patience to have that be not even just applied, yeah. but for it to actually take fruition and become a uh, part of your identity. Yeah. Um, and I think, again, uh, we've probably said it so many times that the pressure from the outside world of this microwave generation of everything has to be done and, and you have to be this complete goalkeeper by the age of 13, 14, 15. And so everyone becomes uh, or there's a, a Sunday, Monday, Monday, Monday night quarterback or Monday morning quarterback and see things, you know, in hindsight, when in reality, this goalkeeper needs that time and that space to identify what they want to become. Like you said, find those fundamental and foundational principles that they can always compartmentalize with their hearing and then come back to. And I think just you need patience for that. And I think we need to provide them the, uh, that, that safe space to do that. Yeah. You know, you know I, I, I want to bring this up. This is actually really interesting here, what we're talking about in regards to learned behavior. There's actually a question in the comments section right here. And Saskia, I think you can definitely uh, you know, speak about this right here. Um, this is from uh, Nancy Lamakia. And Dan, I would love your, your from, a, from a sports psych standpoint. She goes, why the mandatory six-foot height requirement when recruiting female professional goalies? I couldn't hear you. I'm sorry. So she she's saying she says why would somebody put a mandatory six foot height requirement when recruiting female professional goalkeepers? Uh, we just talked about this on the panel. I wish I wish you could have been there. And um, uh, Amy had just brought this up and everything. Um, there shouldn't be a height restriction. Period. Um, that that in my opinion means that you know whoever's coaching your goalkeepers doesn't know how to work with. Um, <laughs> With positioning, with everything like that, you know that um, your six-foot goalkeeper might be good at getting crosses or or anything there, but they might be horrible at getting down to the ground. So getting down to the ground, it's how you train that person and positioning. I will be honest with you. To be blunt, a five-two goalkeeper, it's gonna be it's gonna be some issues. Okay, there there are gonna be some problems. Am I gonna put a height restriction on it? No. Maybe you have a forty-five inch vertical. I don't know, but <laughs> which would be amazing. I mean, Spud Webb, look at him. I mean, I don't know if you you, you might are kind of young for that, but well, I you remember know, Spud Webb. He won he won the dunk contest in the NBA. But I think to put a restriction, I think is is ridiculous. Um, and I think you have to look at who's doing that. So I don't. I think that's a blanket statement. I would tell you right now, I've never put a restriction um, on it. Um, our second goalkeeper, not this past year, but the year before at UCLA, was five two, but no, five five. Um, had great positioning, dealt with crosses and high balls and everything incredibly well, and she played like she was six feet. Um, where I have I have had goalkeepers that are six feet tall that 
can't get across. Have their timing is horrible. Their positioning is horrible. So um, to to say that somebody's putting that stigma or or putting that requirement, I don't think that's a blanket statement. I think you have to look at who is doing it and why. And um, and that coach has some issues. Sorry, <laughs> I'm being honest. Did you want to say something, Omar? Yeah, no. I think again, to your point, that's that's huge. Of what are your, I can't find the word in my head, but it's essentially what are your your qualities that uh, make up for the lack of. And I think I've worked with some goalkeepers who will complain about their height, but are terrible at taking crosses, terrible with their feet, terrible at tactical awareness, don't come off their line high enough uh, to to uh, you know defend behind the back line. So it's like I don't don't get caught up with the idea that if somebody has a height requirement, that's it. At the end of the day. If I work with you and I say, yeah, your height's not there, but all the other pieces around you really make up for that lack of height. For me, it's like, that's the, that's what I want. I don't want a goalkeeper who doesn't know what to do with their height. And I think that to me is, it means it means more than the height. But again, as I said, understand who's saying it. And if that's the profile that they're getting, and that's the only person they're going to try and recruit, maybe not go to that school, go somewhere else where I think you'll be valued. You don't want to go there just so you say you're a part of that school with that badge and then sit on the bench. Like, there's no reason for that. And I think that's a discussion you got to have with yourself and your parents. Dan, Dan, I know from the mental side that you've worked with a lot of goalkeepers from all different shapes and sizes. Is this a conversation that you've had with any of them? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, I'm not a goalkeeping coach, so you guys have forgotten more about goalkeeping than I'll ever know. But listening in to what Saskia's saying, what Omar's saying there, I, I, what I'm hearing is, Saskia, you mentioned positioning. And I know on this podcast, we've talked a lot about the cognitive, the game intelligence side of things. And it's continuing to beat the drum that, you know, soccer and, and, and sports like team invasion sports like basketball etc etc but there's always going to be physical challenges in as much as i'm not going to beat usain bolt in 100 meters um there are people who are as you say who might be construed on the smaller side who may that uh, that physical element might might prove to be a limitation but i do think as coaches we do need to adopt um, uh, what can we do mentality combined with an understanding what is the logic of the game Right. That's something we underestimate. You know, um, soccer comes loaded. Well, what's the logic of the game? And then what's our principles of play? And then what's our game models? Well, if we go back to the logic of the game, the logic of the game is about the relationship between space, ball and player, which, you know, it, it's the cognitive side. It's about anticipation and decision making, pattern recognition in the middle of that, which influence positioning. So once you start to see the game in that respect, a little bit more like a game of chess, exactly. well, That's then all, with chess, we need intelligence and not less emphasis on the physical side without obviously being unrealistic about maybe if I'm intelligent and I'm six foot two that's probably going to work in my favor but but if there's a five foot four if somebody's five foot four and wants to be the best goalkeeper in the world what can we do what can we do here Yeah, and I love Omar what you said in regards to just the fact of like using an excuse, like an uncontrollable, using it as an excuse on why you can't get to a certain level. Dan, like, is there any advice that you have to anybody who's started recognizing those types of thought patterns coming in them that they're using their their uncontrollables as reasons why they can't succeed? Um, I I mean, I I think if I'm if if I understand your uh, your question correctly, I I wish I I understood my question correctly. No, 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 no. It was probably a fine question, but as as I mentioned earlier, I am in a haze of jet lag. (laughs) So so we all we all. It's my 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 very small brain, which is uh, diminishing by the second. um, Perhaps missed some words there, but 
I uh, which is never great when you're on a podcast. Um, I, I, I would say you've got you, you've got to try and be you've got to try and be a great student of the game and a student of your game. And so when somebody comes along and is ultra critical about what you're doing or you're going through tough times or whatever like that, you know, coming back to Omar's patience there, just be a student of the game and, and be a student of your game and, and break things down into tasks and, and be curious. You know, you don't have to play well all the time. You don't have to always train really well. It's, it, it, it's a case of going in and, and training intelligently, playing intelligently, understanding and accepting that you're going to have good days and bad days, having great frameworks in place, co-creating solutions with your, with your coach if you have the opportunity, irrespective of how young you are. Um, for me, that, 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 that can silence the noise around you. Please excuse me if I missed your question. But <laughs> did I kind no. of grasp it? Yes, yes I think, did. again, um, one thing that I've been trying to implement more is, as a coach is you have to expect that the goalkeeper is not going to be perfect. And then you said, have a script ready for when that yeah. doesn't, when that occurs. Yeah. And I think even just doing, uh, obviously this past season, one Las Vegas, our goalkeeper was really good with his feet, found passes, can exploit space, manipulate what's in front of him. And there was a game where he missed obvious passes that his identity is so attached to that, that he started, he kept trying it, he kept trying it and it wouldn't work. So I told him, I said, look, you know, at halftime, I said, your A stuff, the block A is not working. So you need what is your block B? He's like, well, I could put the ball into the you know into to bigger deeper spaces and still give us a chance by trying to target somebody. I was like, well, still let's try that a few times. Let's get your confidence back by doing something that you're comfortable with. Yep. And then when the A starts opening up again, then we go back to the A. And I think again, to say patience, I think you have to have nothing's ever going to be bulletproof in terms of having a plan, but understanding and expecting and knowing that you will fail and there's going to be imperfect moments to be, okay, I have clarity because I've already kind of sat in those thoughts of how it would feel. And I've come up with, again, your game face. I wouldn't say that, but like something with your game face of like, Coach I face. know. Huh? Coach face? No, for, for me, yeah, but for, for, for players, he talks about game face. Shout out to, it was, was it Gareth Bale or Garrett Bale? Gareth. Oh, okay, sure. I just want to make sure it wasn't somebody, yeah, yeah. some other guy using just that name. <laughs> 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 yeah. Like Gareth Bale said that, and you're like, Garrett, and Garrett, Garrett no, I know. Bale. I was messing with I was messing with I thought it was Garrett Bale. Garrett. <laughs> that would be quite cunning. <laughs> that would be awesome. That was what I was trying to I was trying to make a joke about that, but I think it was. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Garrett Bale's actually over there right now. <laughs> <laughs> this geezer, Joe Messi. He really loves my work, old Joe. But he's called Joe Messi. So. <laughs> but I, hope that, I hope that makes sense, but I think, yeah. I got it, yeah. Peter Ronaldo. <laughs> I, what, what I love about what you said there is you're, what you're doing is you're helping a player have a very, a very sophisticated relationship with performance to help them become a better competitor. And I think that's so much of my work at the very highest level is helping players actually have a more sophisticated relationship with performance around you're not going to go out there all the time and be 8, 9, 10 out of 10 or have your A game, as you might call it. Okay, there's going to be times. I mean, this comes under the rubric of mental contrasting. What am I going to do if it goes wrong? What am I going to do if I feel a bit flat, lethargic, worried, doubting, anxious, dropping confidence? What if my footwork isn't quite there? What if my handling isn't quite there? What if it's not going so well? What am I going to do? so that's that's the b or the c game or whatever how am i going to approach that and i think that that's a conversation players can have with themselves they're kind of scared to have that because they think that oh well i'm engaging in negative thinking and it's absolutely not it's actually intelligent thinking it's it's thoroughly preparing for the game just because on tuesday you're having a conversation with yourself around what am i what, what is my strategy for my b game or my c game here 
oh my my six out of ten game what am i going to do that doesn't mean that you're going to do it on a saturday yeah. you know you're, you're just being intelligent about it and i, I think we might need those those kind of sophisticated approaches and conversations with players yeah, yeah, no, no. Some no. you got. I know you got a hard stop at twelve. Yeah. But um, the best, one, well, some of the best advice I ever got from a coach was, you have to expect your back line, your six, they're gonna mess up, they're gonna make mistakes, they're gonna play you a ball you didn't want, they're gonna put you into uh, tough situations. Expect that that's going to happen. And now you talk about kind of understanding yourself in a sophisticated way. Reverse engineer that and be like, Sask, look, I had a friend who told me this all the time. But he's like, Sask. You know, the other day, you there were some moments where I was yelling at you, and I know it's probably it'll continue to happen. Like, what's the best way to communicate? I love this acting exercise here too. This no, is great. Then Sask, I mean, okay. Then discussion. I'm like, you can yell all you want. I'm just going to tune you in and tune you out. We can have a discussion about it. You can come and talk to me, you know, whether it's a dead ball situation or something like that. Like, hey, Sask, you know, you need to come off your line more or something like that. You're not, but if you're going to scream at me, I'm not going to hear you. And so and I have to tell you that. I would have to tell you that. And that's where again the expectation that that's going to happen and there's a solution off the field where I can say, Sask, well, I understand that. So now for me, when she messes up or there's a situation where I can get on her, she's already beating herself up. But now that I have that knowledge and that, that understanding, now I know how to actually skew my, my, my vocabulary or my language or the time of when I do it. And I think, again, that is just, it, it helps you on so many levels. And if you do that with your teammates, imagine doing that with yourself. And, and that, you know, I, I know that and you handle your goalkeepers, everybody reacts differently. You know, I'm not going to turn, turn, sit in the corner and scream and yell at Hannah. I, I coach a certain way and I'm not going to change the way I coach because she likes to be yelled at and it motivates her. But mm. we're going to find a medium ground there and how to, the triggers that I can find to motivate her mm -hmm. that are different than the triggers to motivate Lauren. Yeah. You yeah. know. Yeah, and, and it's being what I'm hearing here is just being a great biopsychosocial coach. Again, it's you're going to have learning outcomes here, but you're trying to you're doing it through the lens of understanding Saskia's, you know, her functioning, her behaviors, her decision making, her understanding is through the lens of biopsychosocial. Who is she as a person? Now you found out this great information. Right now you can tailor your communication alongside everything else that you do, um, you know, with regard to your coaching. Yeah, did you, do you mind if I ask one more question? So I, I know I know you got a hard start. Yeah, <laughs> please, sir. It's so it's so fascinating to me because like I, I I was just thinking about how you were bringing up and again you were bringing up cognitive diversity. Yeah, I I I've recognized a, a fact that that I think is one, very difficult. We had this conversation. I think I forgot who it was with uh, yesterday, but we were talking about the fact that. Um, I'll get a player come into my environment who's never been in, in an environment with a coach like myself before, and they're they've never had that cognitive diversity and their learned behavior is specific to the only coaches they've ever had before. And then they don't know how to react to me because I'm so completely the opposite of okay. what they're used to. Yeah. Like, do you have any advice for me on how to get, get through to this player? Yeah. Really good question. And, and, and obviously it's understanding that players who come to you have history, you know, skills have history uh, and they, their history will be filled with different experiences from different coaches. And I, and I, and I think that that's where you as a coach potentially have to be, have to be curious and strive to be as flexible and as adaptable as you can possibly be. Um, but also, you know, as a coach, you're entitled to see the relationship as a, you know, it's a, tra it's, it's a transformational relationship and, and, and what you want it to be. And, and so it's, having better conversations around 
okay, I understand and appreciate that this is where you're coming from and this is the, these are experiences you've had. Um, I also like to go about it like this. And this is why I'm doing this in this way. Um, you know, what does, what, if I say this to you, what does this mean to you? You know, how, what, what's your thoughts on that? If you can explain, you know, what you're going to do, how you're going to do it and why you're doing it in that way, then you're being an autonomy supportive coaching. You're explaining to the person why you're doing what you're doing. The may or may not have been your presentation yesterday. So. <laughs> well, but no, but you have to, and I think you have to remember it's a gray area goalkeeping and they're coming from another coach. And, and it's not to say that their coaching style was wrong. Um, you know, and if you can have an open line of communication and discuss it with that player, no, don't just put them in a drill and then trying to do it. Let them feel comfortable enough with you to talk to you and say, you know, the last coach, he told me to do it this way or she told me to do it this way. But you're telling me I'm, I'm confused. So let's talk about it. Let's find a middle ground. Let's see what works best for you, because it, the other way might work better for that keeper. Like um, the spin move to get up but, as but, opposed but, but, to the kick up, you know, like, uh, but I'll be honest. Also, like, I think a lot of kids and, and Dan, I don't know if you can, you can speak to this in regards to just, you know, child psychology, are they're, they're afraid to question authority. Yeah. But it's not questioning authority. You have to make yourself as an individual open enough to talk to, that. They feel comfortable enough to talk to you. They're not okay. questioning your authority, okay. but they have to be allowed to ask questions. And there's a big okay. difference. Okay. There. They're not saying, well, Mike, you're wrong. And that my other coach is right. It's like, if they feel comfortable enough with you, that they're confused and you can talk about it. It's that's why you're there. You're there to educate. You're also there to learn as well. Yeah. You know, your coach behaviors are going to influence the environment that you're creating, the coaching environment that you're creating. You're going to influence um, that child's perception um, of the world around them when they're, you know, in your company. And so you've probably got to be able to adapt and tailor your, your coaching behaviors accordingly. Yeah. Now, I mean, by the way, I want everyone out there to th see I'm not like some authoritarian coach. Like, I think <laughs> I, I just I, I, so I don't want anyone to be like this. He's running this environment where like people are afraid to ask questions. No, no, it's, no I, it's the opposite. I was like, I'm so I'm silly. And sometimes I've been like I'm very disciplined environment. Yeah. But what, you know? what you're saying and, and, and building on that point and coming back to something you said there, Saskia, about, you know, coaching in the gray. I mean, it's not just goalkeeping coaching. It's sport and it's sports coaching and it's it's a social science and it's it, it's an art. And, a, yeah, there's, there's empirical evidence as to, you know, strong ways to coach. But, you know, there is no truth as such. And in every single activity, in every single session, it is kind of a mini experiment as a coach. If you're a good critical thinker and you have the capacity to reflect back on your coaching practice in terms of what you did in an activity and the session as a whole, which I would suggest that uh, ambitious coaches do that, then there's no truth. And they, these are just experiments. And you're constantly thinking about how that went and how it could have gone better. And you do have to give yourself permission to get it wrong. And you do have to give yourself permission for it to be chaotic. And you do have to give yourself permission to, to say the wrong thing at certain times. And there's always going to be times in your coaching career where or there's going to be players that you come across that it doesn't quite connect. And it's very difficult to connect with that player. That's okay. That's your privilege and your burden. That's the difficulty of coaching. And if we go into coaching and say, there's these truths and it must be this way. And there's always going to be objective evidence. That's absolutely fine. But um, how that objective evidence is treated is sub subjective. And, and, and so we do have to be we have to be demanding on ourselves as coaches. We have to be critical on ourselves as coaches, but we also have to be patient with ourselves as coaches. And we have to be, um, we have to be kind on ourselves as coaches. We're not going to get it right all the time, especially with yeah. relationships, because relationships are complicated and people are complex, you know, and, and,
that's what I'd have yeah. to say about that. <laughs> Omar, anything you want to add before we get we get to we re can release Dan from the hostage of the Inside the 18 podcast uh, uh, booth? I, I do. <laughs> kind of claustrophobic in this hostage environment. Uh, no, I think again the last thing I, I think Mike told me this way back in the day. He was like, "You just need repetitions," and he was like, "You're still you're still a young coach, and you might think highly of yourself, but you haven't had the repetitions enough to justify what's up here yet." You got to marry the two. And the only way you get to where you think you should be is the repetitions. And I think to anything you do, repetition, repetition, be patient and keep repeating it until you uh, find what you feel comfortable with. Very great, very great point. Uh, well, Dan, honestly, this has always been a treat. I mean, it's, it's so awesome that we finally get to do it in person with all of us right here. Yeah. I mean, it's only, it's, reunion. It's only been se awesome. se seven, 17 years. And then we were, we were joking around and said, it's like, you know, guys, don't worry. If you miss this episode with Dan, don't worry. He'll be back probably in a couple of weeks. So uh, <laughs> I am now part owner of this podcast. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> um, any, I'll bring down my face. So it's, uh... <laughs> anything you want, anything you want to plug? Uh, do you have any more presentations here? <laughs> so I'm presenting tomorrow if anybody's around at 1.30 um, in some big room down the corridor here <laughs> um, and that's going to I'm going to be challenging people's view on the notion of control self-control perhaps the idea of you can I think there is uh, this pervasive um, narrative around you can control your attitude, effort, and energy. And I'm going to challenge that slightly. I'm not going to suggest that what I'm saying is true. I'm just going to challenge it and, and suggest that actually uh, characteristics and co uh, these kind of characteristics are also competencies and skills and that the, the, these can be developed and part of coaching practice and in coaching environment need to uh, account for the development of things like attitude, effort, and energy. So that's kind of what I'm going to be going on about tomorrow um in terms of uh me uh danabrahams.com um is my website uh i have three twitter accounts the most important one is at danabraham77 i have my own podcast which is half as good as yours which is the sports site show i have uh, facebook which is at danabrahamsoccer instagram which is at danabrahamsport and my books are soccer tough soccer tough 2 soccer brain and golf tough if you're a golfer and that's me out Look at, look at that, guys. And obviously, guys, if you have a guest suggestion or a topic suggestion, contact at insidethe18media.com or at Goalkeeper Podcast. By the way, shout out to everybody who's been downloading The Union. Wow, we just went on Tuesday. We just went officially launched. And uh, it's a free app, guys. Go out there. Go on the forum. If you have questions and you want to connect with other like-minded individuals in regards to sports psych, in regards to coach, coaching education, nutrition, lifestyle, whatever it is, whatever pillar it is that you want to do, go on there, guys. You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to wait for Omar to approve you or anything like that. Go on there, start commenting, start interacting with each other. Uh, Dan, always a pleasure. That's all the time on Inside the 18, and we are out. Later, guys. Yeah.